0: Welcome to the Pharma Podcast, conversations with industry experts and business leaders about important and current topics in Canadian pharma, biotech, and medtech. I'm your host, Sam Tarantino. Today, I'm speaking with Jane Farnham, Vice President, Strategic Partnerships and External Relations at Bioscript Solutions, and co-chair of the board of the Canadian Organization for Rare Disorders. Jane Farnham, Is a recognized thought leader in streamlining the complex processes for patients receiving specialty medications. She has both a professional and personal interest in the rare disease space. In this episode, Jane will provide insights on the evolving role of specialty pharmacy in supporting patients with increasing complex new therapies in a changing regulatory and reimbursement environment. Welcome to the podcast, Jane.
1: Thank you, Sam. It's really great to have an opportunity to be here with you today.
0: For our audience, Jane, can you tell us briefly about yourself and the professional journey that led you to where you are today?
1: I'm a pharmacist with a business degree, and I have often say I've worked on all sides of the industry with the exception of government. I started my career as a practicing hospital pharmacist. I spent some time in community pharmacy, I worked in the public sector at the University Health Network. That was my first business job, and I moved from there over into the wholesaling sector. I worked in the biotech pharma space, spent a good degree of time in the generic industry, and also uh, worked and negotiated buying programs for the largest network of community pharmacy banners in Canada.
0: Let's start with a specialty drug. What is a specialty drug?
1: Sam, there's not really a clear definition for specialty drug, but generally we think of a specialty drug as a drug that costs more than $10,000 per year per course of therapy. It often involves special dispensing and distribution procedures, such as cold chain More intensive clinical care is required with these therapies, typically more monitoring and more adherence management. And many of these therapies are administered via infusion or injection, and many of them are biologics. So what does a specialty pharmacy in Canada do? A specialty pharmacy typically works with hundreds of drugs versus the thousands of drugs Mm -hmm. that a typical community pharmacy works with. The pharmacists who are working in specialty pharmacies have in-depth training on all of the medications that they're working with. Typically, there's more time required to start a patient on a specialty therapy, and there's a, a tremendous amount of support and follow-up required. So. When a patient begins their journey with a specialty pharmacy, they would typically become involved with an onboarding call where the pharmacist would learn not only about their medication history, but also about their entire medical background. Uh They'd be given an opportunity to understand about their therapy, their side effects, how it might interact with their disease conditions. It's a very complex process for many of these patients. They're seeing many healthcare professionals and have many appointments and other therapies, and specialty pharmacies are there to support the patient through that journey.
0: So how does a specialty pharmacy support uh, patients um, that require specialty drugs?
1: A specialty pharmacist will spend whatever time is required with the patient to make sure that they understand the needs related to their therapy, all of the potential side effects and outcomes. There's also something called reimbursement navigation, which is often required uh, when a patient is receiving a specialty therapy. Even if patients have drug coverage, many, if not most, of drug plans don't provide 100% coverage. So, if you're prescribed a medication that costs, say, $100,000 a year and your plan pays 20 or 80% of the cost, you're still left with a $20,000 per year expense. And that's really something that can be quite overwhelming for most Canadians. Mm-hmm.
0: So, relative to the, um, the traditional pharmacy space, uh, retail pharmacy, uh, what is the size of specialty mar- uh, the specialty pharmacy market in Canada?
1: So the drug market in Canada is approximately $35 billion today. We're just at the um, beginning of the reporting season, and so the numbers I'm speaking about came out in 2019. At that time and uh, continuing to today, about a third of the total drug spend in Canada is specialty. And interestingly enough, only 2% of the claims are actually for specialty products.
0: And so what are the trends? Are there
1: any trends uh, in the specialty pharmacy? Some of the trends that I'm observing is a real focus on growth of specialty products Mm -hmm. in the oncology pipeline. There are um, a lot of new products, a lot of new indications. There's been double-digit growth in that space over the last five years. The late-stage oncology pipeline is up 77%. Um, That's where we're seeing a lot of evolution and development in terms of targeted therapies and next-generation biotherapeutic agents, so cell and gene therapy. Mm. The um, other interesting trend that we started to see over the last year or so is new evolution in biologic treatments for patients with migraine. The first treatment hit the Canadian market in late 2018, and um, another trend that we've been observing over the last couple of years is the leveling out or the normalizing of the hepatitis C therapy, which really spiked in 2015 and has been normalizing since then. Let's move to the patient experience, Jane. So
0: how, um, how can a specialty pharmacy um, also help uh, patients uh, with reimbursement?
1: Specialty pharmacies play a really important role in patients uh, requiring reimbursement for their therapies. So I like to call it heavy lifting. The pharmacist is doing the heavy lifting for the patient. A lot of these programs, exceptional access programs and special authorization programs require a lot of coordination of paperwork. The physician has to fill out a component of the paperwork. The patient has to complete a section. The pharmacist has a role to play. And so typically a specialty pharmacy will coordinate all of that for the patient. It can be very challenging and very complex. And so a good specialty pharmacy will coordinate all of that, make sure it's um, submitted to the insurance Um, organization and follow up to ensure that reimbursement is received.
0: Can you achieve this through a centralized dispensary or uh, does it have to be regional based on the, the jurisdiction you're in?
1: There are some regional differences. So in Canada, each of our provinces have a different provincial drug program with different formularies and different rules to follow. So typically, you will work with a specialty pharmacy in the province in which you're located. And it's important because that pharmacy will then understand all of the nuances of your drug program in your particular circumstances.
0: And do you integrate with the patient's healthcare uh, professional team to provide, uh, you know, become part of an integrated health management team?
1: We absolutely do, and that's what I consider part of the heavy lifting Mm -hmm. that a specialty pharmacist will do on behalf of the patient. Navigating the healthcare system can be incredibly overwhelming for a patient newly prescribed a specialty medication. And so we are coordinating with the physician's offices. Uh We're also coordinating with the uh, patient support program, which is uh, typically associated with one of these medications. We coordinate with clinics for injected and infused medications, and we can also be involved in coordinating lab testing that may be required for biologics, blood work, um, all of those things that can become really challenging for patients to navigate on their own
0: mm-hmm. imagine this is all part of not just a specialty pharmacy but a patient support program as well as part of a larger uh, program uh, so when we're talking about specialty pharmacy we also have to talk about a PSP or patient support program so how does how does a PSP help and support the patient's journey
1: Sam there are as many different types of patient support programs I think almost as there are therapies. So there are some Programs that provide very intensive support, they will take on the role of the reimbursement navigation, Uh so they'll coordinate with the patient to understand what drug coverage they have, if they have a spouse with drug coverage, and they'll also work to coordinate with the pharma company who's supporting the program if there's a gap in coverage. So if we use the example we spoke about earlier, if the patient is going to be out of pocket $20,000 per year, and that makes that product unaffordable for them, then the patient support program will work in coordination with the manufacturer to look for sources of funding for that product. The uh, patient support program can also have a role in uh, coordinating with physicians' offices. They're often involved in connecting a patient to a clinic in a community nearest them if they're receiving an infused or an injected medication. They also play a role in coordinating lab testing and blood work at point of care wherever possible. Uh Where do you see
0: um, the future um, of specialty pharmacy? Where where do you think it's going?
1: It's a really interesting question. The payer landscape in Canada is uh, changing in a lot of meaningful ways. Payers are implementing a lot of new cost containment strategies and so specialty pharmacies are needing to be able to uh, figure out how to be able to provide the services they've traditionally been providing as margins are becoming compressed. And so that's a really important challenge. Technology is playing an increasingly important role in specialty pharmacy. Meaningful data insights are really key And. um understanding and recognizing that the specialty pharmacy can be a really important partner in generating real-world evidence. And I think the holy grail of all of this is being able to link the outcomes of specialty therapy to things that really matter to employers and the people who are funding drug plans So if we can actually marry the utilization of a specialty product with reductions in things like disability and absenteeism and improvements in presenteeism, then we can really make a meaningful impact in the space. Also, I think patient-reported outcomes are becoming Mm -hmm. uh, increasingly important. I think over the years they've been under-recognized, and specialty pharmacies are a really important collection point for patient-reported insights. And another trend that I see that I hope is going to happen is that Pharma companies start to incorporate specialty pharmacy planning much earlier on in the product life cycle, so that by the time they're actually um, presenting to public and private payers for access, they are actually incorporating the specialty pharmacy as a provider of data and evidence and a trusted partner in the process.
0: Okay. Do you see Jane... um a a future role for specialty pharmacy supporting um, outcomes-based reimbursement?
1: I absolutely do. I know we've been talking about it for a number of years. I know there are a lot of challenges in the space in terms of being able to implement these programs. I see specialty pharmacy as being a really important partner in being able to implement, execute, and report on outcomes. Uh
0: I read a um, a recent article that 70% of the drugs in development are specialty drugs that have an identified biomarker. So the future is personalized medicine. What is the role of specialty pharmacy given the growth of, of personalized medicine, targeted and more targeted therapies?
1: It absolutely is the future of drug development globally. And I think the role of the specialty pharmacy is really evolving in this space. So some of the new products that we're seeing hit the market that are gene therapy products have a requirement that they really need to be administered in an institutional setting. I see that we're going to be evolving to um, products that can have a real application in a community setting. And I think specialty pharmacies are really poised and positioned to be able to provide that level of support. I've seen over the years that, and I'd like to see uh, institutions and hospitals looking at specialty pharmacies as community partners where they can have reassurance that there is... um, a pharmacy in the community who can adhere to the same standards and processes and procedures that can be implemented in the institutional sector.
0: And do you see the trend um, away from small molecules to specialized biologics continuing?
1: I don't see it changing. I think you've said it quite well. I think the future is in personalized medicine. I think it's important, though, that we never forget that uh, small molecules really form the basis the foundation of the the drug um, development that we have existing today. And obviously, there's going to be continued development in that space. But if you look at um, diseases like cancer, the ability to be able to have a targeted therapy and potentially avoid uh, Chemotherapy that mm-hmm. may not provide any benefit to you is huge. So I think the future is precision and targeted therapies.
0: And do you see any of these targeted
1: therapies moving out of a hospital setting in Canada into private clinics? I think the future is to be determined but like we have seen in the past a lot of infused and injected therapies that once were only administered in hospitals now moved out into the community with the advent of biologics i think we we are not unlikely to see a very similar trend once we get more experience with some of these therapies. And we also have to remember that the hospital system is quite overburdened Mm -hmm. and very challenged. And so they are continuing looking for ways to innovate and find other ways to provide the therapies to a greater cross-section of people.
0: I'd like to talk about a a little more about specialty generics. There is um, increasing investment in the specialty generic space. Um, and more is expected over the coming years. Um, how can specialty pharmacy play a role in specialty generics?
1: Well, I think specialty pharmacy has a, a similar role to play in specialty generics as it does in uh, with innovator products. I think the big challenge with specialty generics is there is – a um, lowered price point available for these products. And so these companies have um, less margin to play with in terms of funding some of these programs. So I think the big challenge for specialty generics is to be able to provide an equivalent level of service to the patient at a reduced price point.
0: Mm-hmm. So Jane, there are um, a number of health reforms on the horizon all of which are topics for a future podcast. (laughs) So in light of the uh, health reforms that are on the horizon, do you see any of them impacting specialty pharmacy?
1: I think, Sam, that I see almost all of them impacting specialty pharmacy and most impacting pharmacy in general. One of the biggest areas of under discussion in Canada right now are the reforms to our patented medicines regulations which are were finalized mm-hmm. on August of 2019 and will our the consultation period on the guidelines for the regulations just closed on Valentine's Day and the implementation is meant to be July 1st of this year and they will have I believe a significant impact across all aspects of the pharma sector and will absolutely impact uh, specialty pharmacy.
0: Can you elaborate in, in what ways do you think uh, availability of drug? Is it price? Is it not being a top-tier launch country?
1: All of the above. The, there are some third-party experts that are predicting upwards of 80-plus percent price reductions for um, rare disease medications in particular, around 60% price reductions for oncology medications as a result of these regulations. And so I've worked in the in the pharma industry, and I understand how launch decisions are made, and consideration is obviously going to be uh, made to um, the impact on global pricing uh, considerations. So we're really concerned that Products won't be launched in Canada Mm -hmm. or they will be launched much later than other countries such as the U.S. Um, We're concerned uh, that the reductions in price points also will result in the reduction in the level of clinical trials that are being conducted in Canada. And just before coming to meet with you this morning, I heard um, a very interesting and I think hot off the press statistic that. In 2019, there was a 40% reduction in the number of clinical trials being conducted in Canada. So I think there's significant cause for concern. I'm very actively involved, as you know, in the rare disease community, and we are incredibly concerned about the impact on the launch and availability of trials and drugs for rare disease therapy in Canada as a result of these regulations.
0: What about reimbursement? And um, do any of these health reforms, do you think, have an impact on reimbursement rates? My understanding, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that reimbursement rates over the last decade have, in fact, have been declining. Um, is that true? And do you see that trend continuing?
1: If you're talking about employer-sponsored drug mm-hmm. plans and reimbursement rates, I, I see that we are, over the last decade decade or so seeing uh, reductions i remember when i started my career the first couple of jobs i had i had 100% reimbursement for my drug plan i don't think you see that um, very more i think we're seeing um, reductions to you know increase the copay required by the uh, plan member we're also seeing trends troubling trends occurring in the space where we're seeing Employers and plan um, administrators uh, placing caps on coverage. So, where in the past we would have had an employer sponsored drug plan where there would be no limit to the amount of coverage that an employee had, today we're seeing caps put in place sometimes on an annual level and sometimes on a lifetime level. So, even if you For example, have a $50,000 lifetime cap and you're prescribed um, an immunotherapy that costs $75,000 per year, your drug coverage isn't worth a whole lot to you. So there's some really troubling trends and a real need for new thinking around reimbursement for high-cost drugs and drugs for rare diseases.
0: So a new model. Any ideas what uh, that new model should entail?
1: I think there are some uh, much um, smarter people than me working on uh, some of this modeling, but I've had the opportunity to be involved in some discussions. There's some, I think, really good thinking coming out of Harvard and MIT these days. I think if we think about some of these now, what I would call ultra-high-cost therapies, so, for example, some of the therapies for babies born with rare metabolic disorders or rare cancers, where um, a a treatment administered in the first year or two of life can provide that child with a normal lifespan. And the treatment perhaps could cost $750,000 a year or a million or, or more. I think Questions have to be asked around, particularly in the kind of um, work environment that exists today. So, if that child is born to a 30-year-old parent who, you know, may be changing jobs every three to five years, is it reasonable to expect that that employer would bear the entire, say, million-dollar cost mm-hmm. of that therapy when the downstream benefits would? be realized by the public system or potentially future employers. So there are some really, really good questions being asked. And I think in the next couple of years, we're going to start to see some really good proposals and thinking coming out of this.
0: Where do you see um, the future of specialty pharmacies and preferred pharmacy networks, PPNs? Do you see the, the current infrastructure, the current um, continuing?
1: It's a good question. I think the PPN infrastructure is really well established in Canada. I think the reason for the um, bringing to Canada of a PPN model was probably quite different in, I think it was around 2012 that we saw the first PPN Uh in Canada. I think Today, the reasons are less economic because market forces have really taken care of a lot of Mm -hmm. the conditions and have placed caps and reductions on margins that were the really essential first purpose of a PPN. And I think we're starting to see PPNs morph into being providers of incremental value Uh, to the payer. So uh, an assurance of a particular standard or level of service. And I think what's becoming increasingly important to payers, both public and private, is some of the data that can be produced coming out of the programs. So I think that they uh, are here probably to stay, but I think we're going to see them take on different shapes and forms and roles and provide incremental value versus what they were originally envisioned to provide.
0: Finally, can specialty pharmacy and traditional pharmacy live symbiotically?
1: Emphatically, yes. I am really passionate about this issue. I often use the analogy when speaking about specialty pharmacy of a GP, family doctor, and a specialist physician. I think there is a role for both. I've spent a great of my career working in and advocating on behalf of traditional community pharmacy. And I have the utmost respect for all of my uh, friends and um, network within the traditional community pharmacy space. I think there are some therapies that require uh, great deal more intense handling and monitoring and I really like I would love to see us evolve to a much more collaborative model where the community pharmacy would feel comfortable handing off that part of the patient's therapy for that part of the treatment journey and where both specialty and community pharmacy are partners in care for their shared patient and when the patient has finished their specialty journey if it's a a short-term journey, then the patient um, goes back to their home traditional community pharmacy and continues to be cared for. It does upset me when I see a lot of the um, competition, if you will, arising between the two sp- sectors, and I would like to see a lot more collaboration and coordination.
0: Jane, thank you for your advice. How can the audience connect with you?
1: Thanks, Sam. It's really been my pleasure to speak with you. I can be reached via my LinkedIn page and also via my email, which is janefarnham8888 at gmail.com.
0: Thanks, Jane. Contact details for Jane are also available on our website at thepharmapodcast.ca. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and follow me on LinkedIn to stay up to date on future podcasts. This podcast, along with a transcript of the show, can be found on our website at thepharmapodcast.ca. Thank you to our sound engineer, Errol Francis, and the Town of Oakville for providing the studio. If you'd like to be a guest on this podcast, or if there is a topic we should cover in future episodes, please connect with me via LinkedIn.